Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. What's up, Abundant Life? If you have a copy of God's Word, I want you to find the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're going to be at this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Pastor Phil is in my motherland, the great nation of Texas. And, um, and so he's down there preaching at a friend of his church in Houston, Texas. And so we're praying for him as he's ministering to the Capital C Church down there in Texas. But we are here and we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. As you are finding your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, I just want to share with you a little bit about my life. Uh, many of you know this. I have a, a three daughters. So I'm a minority and a sorority. And uh, when you have three little girls, you find yourself doing things that you never thought you would do, you know, growing up. And so I've got these little girls. And when they finished school this, um, this last year, we gave them some money to go shop because women like shopping, amen? And so um, anyway, I don't know if girls, if you're anything like the girls in my household, but all roads lead to Hobby Lobby. And so we are in Hobby Lobby eventually, and uh, we find ourselves in this section of Hobby Lobby where they sell these tiny doll houses. Uh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen these things before, but like it is everything that is a dollhouse, but it's very miniature. And they give you all the things you need to be able to build one of these things. And they give you like the drapes and they give you like the wallpaper. Like, can we not just print that stuff already on? But you got to cut it all out, glue it on there, and you've got to build it all. And so me and my crew, we've spent countless hours building these tiny dollhouses. You can see my girls right here working on them. And so you can see it's just kind of a big mess. But here's an example of a tiny dollhouse. That's one that's one and that's one. And I don't know if you can see this from the angle, but like there are furnishings that you have to build, all right? And these aren't like Legos. These don't snap together. You have to glue everything. And so oh, here's what I have. My crew, just to kind of let you in a little bit, this is my oldest. She's the stereotypical oldest. She is diligent. She is getting the job done, all right? So every time we get to work, she's like, let's go. Let's get this thing done. My middle, she's pretty creative. She's a little bit more eccentric, but she's diligent too. Like she's, she's like really enjoying the tactility, if that's a word, of this whole project and you can see there she's busting the cap with the glue gun and she's getting everything done. Now my youngest, she looks like she's doing something. I think we staged this photo, all right? Typically, <laughs> she's somewhere else, all right? Daddy, you build it, all right? And so anyway, here's what happens. As mom and dad, our job is to just to, to like encourage the ones that are being diligent. You keep building that thing, right? And then um, to keep them from being destructive. All right, don't tear anything up. Don't tell your, tear your sisters up. And so the, the two olders, we're encouraging them a lot. But then the, the younger one, mom and dad, we're, we're saying, hey, baby, I need you to refocus because you're getting distracted and, and you're not getting the job done. You're not building what you should be building in this project. And the reason why I shared that with you this morning is because if you're a Christian, you've been, you've been invited by God to help build the kingdom of God. And you've been given this task as a Christian to help perpetuate and to help build God's kingdom. And God, your father, if many of you, you come in here, you're diligent. God, your father, this morning, he's going to be like, you go, girl. You keep going, bro. You keep building that thing. You keep being diligent and building what I've called you to build. Others of you, maybe a minority are here, and you're, you're kind of destroying what God's trying to build. And maybe you're here because somebody drugged you here or you're just giving a last ditch effort to try to make things right. But if you look back at the last month of your life, you're like, man, I've really been tearing down what God's trying to build. And God would say to you as, as your loving father, he would say, hey, let's change that. Let's not destroy what we're trying to build. But by and large, if you're anything like me, you have this tendency just to get distracted. 
Like my mind is like a one-way road into a cul-de-sac driving slowly with a lot of squirrels, all right? That's kind of my mind. And that's some of you, right? Like you just get so distracted on what, what you need to be focused on. And this morning, hopefully God's word is going to refocus all of us so that we can build what matters most. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled this message, what are you building? What are you building? And I wanna look at God's word and I wanna show you that you gotta have the right plans, the right foundation, the right materials if you're gonna build the right structure and receive the right rewards. Now we're continuing our series through the book of Daniel. I know that I had you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter three, but let me explain why we're gonna eventually get there. We've been walking verse by verse through the book of Daniel and we've come to the final chapter of the book of Daniel and Daniel, he gets this vision. He's at the end of his life and then he sees this vision of how everything's gonna end in the end. And he says, man, there's this judgment that's gonna come and you wanna make sure that you're on the right side or your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, what we talked about last week. You wanna make sure that you have settled what you need to settle with God Almighty so that when you face God Almighty, you are not held accountable to your sin. And we looked at last week that this judgment that's gonna take place, it is a judgment that we need to be ready for because every man and every woman is appointed once to die and then to be judged. And so last week we looked at verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 10, and here's what Daniel wrote down. He said, many shall be purified or made white. It's what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. And he says, and they're gonna be refined. He says, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. We've come here this morning so that we could be men and women of wisdom. And the way that we are men and women of wisdom is that we have understanding. See, God isn't trying to, he's not trying to conceal things that matter in eternity. He's trying to reveal them clearly and say, hey, hey, you better be ready for the judgment day. One of the most pervasive themes all throughout the Bible is judgment, that God, he is just and he is a judge and that we will give an account for our life to one degree or another. And so Daniel, he's trying to ready us. He said, hey man, you, you need to get ready. Now there's several judgments that we find in the Bible, two really big ones that are uh, important for us to talk about this morning. One is one that we talked about last week and that's the judgment whether you're in heaven or not. And Pastor Phil, if you weren't here last week, man, he, he preached one last week, y'all. And he preached a message that just basically was saying, you need to trust Christ. If you weren't there, check out this clip. I'm trying to tell you today that if your name is not written in the book of life, you will spend forever in the lake of fire. Yes, I'm aware this is not a popular message at all in our day. It's not a message that you're going to hear in very many churches across America. This is not how you build a bigger Facebook following. But do you understand, my only purpose is to watch for your soul. The calling of God upon my life is Hebrews 13, 17, to watch for your soul. And I'm watching for your soul. I want you to awake, Ephesians 5, 14, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you life to Choose life. Choose life. God is offering you life today, eternal life. Don't choose death. Jesus is life. If you, if you don't know, yeah, y'all, clap. It's great. If you don't know Pastor Phil that well, uh, you may have missed even some of the emotion that he was portraying. Because uh, a man of his stature and a man of his, uh, just the wiring, oftentimes you just kind of get, you know, like SWAT cops, stoic Pastor Phil. 
But then when he's preaching on a subject matter like this, I don't know if you caught this, but there was a grimace in his face. There were tears that he had shed prior to Sunday. I talked to him on Saturday before Sunday and I said, how are you doing? And he said, I'm, I'm doing about as good as I can given what's coming. And then when he came here in every service, he got to the place where he needed to get emotionally to try to reflect to all of us the heart of God. Because if you can preach on hell and you can preach on judgment without tears in your eyes and brokenness in your voice, you've misunderstood and you are misrepresenting the heart of God. God doesn't delight in anybody being judged. He doesn't delight in anybody going to hell. He's broken over you. And so don't miss the expression of agony and saying, plea, and pleading and persuasion. I think in a few of the services last week, Pastor Phil's on his knees and he's saying, please. Because there's a judgment that we are all gonna face and if you are not covered by the righteousness of Christ, if there's not been a point in your life where you've trusted Jesus as your only hope for salvation, it's not gonna end well for you. You'll be forever separated from God. And so Daniel, he gets a vision of this, and he's saying, this is a judgment that is to come, and he's writing things, these things down, and God is preserving these things so that we can be ready for this day. But Daniel, he also refers to this judgment. It's a little bit layered. He says, many will be purified, and then he goes on to say that they're gonna be made white. That's the great white throne judgment. He says, and refined, and refined. He says, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. Well, what's this refining that he's talking about? Well, the refiner's judgment refers to what you've done for Christ. The purifying and the made white judgment, that's referring to what you've done with Christ. The refiner's judgment, what you've done for Christ. See, Scripture teaches that there's going to be two judgments. One judgment for how you've responded to Christ for salvation. That was last week. And then another judgment for what you did with Christ after salvation. That's this week. That the, that the way that you're going to be judged in heaven, if you are a believer in Christ, that you're gonna be judged for how you've built your life for Christ. Paul, one of the greatest theologians in the New Testament, he calls it the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, this word judgment seat in the Greek is the word bima. Now when Paul would have written this, he would have been uh, using this cultural language that was very familiar in the culture that he written the Bible in. The bima seat was this seat that many people were very familiar with. Like there's this Colosseum in Corinth, you can go to it today. And this is, be, you know, like people would gather and then they would have athletes that would come to this place and the athletes, they would be adorned their award for winning their race. Like they would do Olympics back in the day, like Greco-Roman games, they would wrestle, they would run, all that kind of stuff. And so people would gather in this place and then the athletes would go to the Bema seat. You go to the next photo. They'd go to the Bema seat and they would stand on this stage, if you will, and they would be awarded their reward for winning whatever they won. And you can go there today and it's inscribed right here. This is, says Bema right there. And so Paul, when he's saying that you're gonna stand before Christ on the judgment seat of Christ, what he's saying is that in eternity, when you're a believer in Christ, when you go to heaven, you will literally stand on a Bema seat and you will give an account for what you did with Christ. You'll give an account for the way that you built your life. Now, let me give you a couple things about the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat of Christ. First of all, the Bema seat of Christ, it's not for salvation. It's not for salvation. Let me be really clear. First John 2, 28 says, and now little children abide in him. And then when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. That, that the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, it is not for salvation that Jesus Christ and him crucified and him raised from the dead and us confessing him as Lord, that's salvation. This is a different judgment. The second thing about the Bema seat is that, that it is for all believers, that this isn't just something that preachers will have to go through. This isn't something that vocational ministers will have to go through. If you're a Christian, you will go through the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14, 10 and 12 says, for we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There it is, the Bema seat. 
And he says, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. And the third thing about the Bema Seat is that it is for rewards. Second Corinthians 5.10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You getting it? You see the theme? We must all appear before the Bema Seat or the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And then the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, verse 12, it says, and behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Here's a perspective shift for all of us this morning. In a hundred years, all that will matter is what we did with Christ and for Christ. And when we have that perspective shift, when we put things in perspective based upon what we're going through this week, what we brought in here this morning, in a hundred years, all that will matter is what we did with Christ and for Christ. And listen, God wants us to live in light of what matters most for eternity so that that day will be one of rewards and not regrets. So what are you building this morning? Paul, he's writing to this church in Corinth, and he's using this, this language, the Bema Seat of Christ. He uses it in the, the church of Corinth more than any other church that he's written to in the New Testament. And it's as if Paul's writing this letter to the church of Corinth, and he's saying to some of them that are being diligent, hey, you keep living for what matters most. You're building something beautiful for the glory of God. And then he also writes some things in the letters to, Corinth, to the church of Corinth, hey, you're being destructive to what God's trying to build. You need to correct some of those things. But again, by and large, I think his audience was probably much like this audience that the worries of life and the, and the busyness of life has this tendency to get us distracted and we start living for things that don't matter for eternity. And so Paul's writing this letter and he's saying, hey guys, if you're distracted, let's refocus and let's build something for God's glory. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter three. He says this, you are God's building, verse nine. I love this, you are God's building. We have to start taking our faith personal, y'all. I don't know if you've come in here this morning where you're at in the faith spectrum, but God wants to do something very personal in you and through you. This isn't like a faith that, that God uses special people and then we just go support the special people. Listen, you are God's chosen people. You are his building. And the more that you can take your faith, your faith personal, the more it's gonna be impactful because you're understanding, man, I'm not a perfect person, but I'm available and God can use an available person. The eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro, the book of Second Chronicles tells us. Searching for one whose heart is fully surrendered unto God so that he might move mightily on that person's behalf. And we wanna be that people. And so from the front row to the back row, God wants to build something in you, something very, very personal. And Paul, he goes on, he says this. So verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, I love this, Paul, he's not boasting about what he had arrived to. He's like, it's all God's grace. I'm just a knucklehead that God used. He says, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. Point number one, if you're taking notes this morning, you could write this down. If you're gonna build something that God thinks is beautiful, you're gonna first of all have to have the right plans. The right plans. Now Paul's saying that God's grace led him to have the right plans for this church in Corinth. And he's saying, so I came to y'all, we laid a foundation, I passed the, the reins of leadership over to the people in Corinth and they started added to it. And then those of you that are leading in this church, he says, you need to take heed on, on the way that you're building things. What Paul's saying is that if you, basically, if you're gonna have a life that matters and echoes in eternity, you're gonna have to have the right plans. Y'all know this, like if you don't have the right plans, you can't build the right thing, you know? Like, like, and, and I think sometimes we just think we're gonna accidentally stumble into having a godly marriage. 
You don't just wake up like, oh, we're godly in our marriage now. No, you have to be diligent. You have to have a plan. You gotta work that plan. You're not just gonna accidentally wake up and, and uh, be a godly individual. No, you, you've, gotta, you've gotta have vision for that and you have to work towards that. You're not gonna wake up and accidentally do anything of significance. You have to have vision for it. You have to have the right plans. Y'all know this. If you don't have the right plans, you're not gonna build the right place. But when you have the right plans, then you know I can show up because I know the plan and I can get to work every day. So um, we're kind of in a building project right now with one of our campuses in the crossroads. And so my family and I, we went down there this last week just to make sure everything was going all right. And what nobody at work, so we showed up. I said, all right, girls, get your hammer. Y'all build some tiny houses. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> we just put on hard hats and we were pretending like we were doing something. But here's the deal. Y'all, y'all know this to be true. Um, we planned to knock out the, the wall up here and put windows on the second floor. And so the construction crew, they showed up and they executed the plan. They, they cut out big holes. Now, those aren't the windows. Those, that's wood, all right? We're gonna put glass in there, okay? So we're thinking, that doesn't look real nice. It, it'll look nice. And then we planned to put roll-up doors on this first floor. So they cut out the, the brick and they're gonna put roll-up doors on the first floor. They got the plan. We worked hard to get the blueprint and now they're executing the plan. And listen, if you don't have the right plan, you're not gonna build the right place. And you and I, we need vision for what God wants to do in our life so that we can live a life of purpose. Some of y'all, if you're anything like me, you're like, man, what's God's will for my life? God, what's your will? I just wanna, I wanna stand in the center of your will. What's your will for my life? And many of us, we ask that question. And I would just say this, God's will is God's word. You don't have to wonder what God's will is. You just be faithful to do faithfully what God has said in his revealed will of his word. And then he will show you the unrevealed things, I promise you. And so like you read in the word of God that there are some things that we need to be doing with our life. Here's some plans. You, you need to know Christ. Uh, Paul said in Philippians 3.8 that, that I consider all of the, the world rubbish compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ. Uh, we need to make disciples. Jesus said all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them all the things I've commanded you. If you, want to, if you want to know what the plan is, God has made it clear in his word. Know him, make him known. And he says other things. Like he says that you need to be diligent in your work. When you go to the office tomorrow, you should be the best employee or you should be the best boss to work for because not because you're some sort of business guru or some sort of hard worker, but ultimately because you want to work unto the glory of God because your book tells you to go work unto the glory of God. We should be people of one book where we immerse ourselves into the word of God and we read it line by line, chapter by chapter, and we say, oh God, would you speak to me so that I can know the plan? Because I wanna live a life that matters. And so if you're gonna build something that matters, you gotta have the right plan. Paul, he goes on to say this in verse 11. He says, for no other foundation can anyone lay that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Again, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Point number two, if you're taking notes, you could write this down. If you're gonna build the right thing, you gotta have the right foundation. You have the right foundation. If you don't know this about Paul, the apostle Paul, he is obsessive about Jesus Christ. I mean, it just seems like every other sentence out of Paul's mouth is like, yeah, you gotta know Jesus, you know? Uh, you, you gotta do this, gotta do this, but if you don't know Jesus, then that's not gonna work out. And then like, you gotta build the right thing, but yeah, make sure that you get the right foundation. And Paul, he's given his life so that people would know Jesus Christ as, as their only hope for salvation. And so like, he, he's, he's basically saying, man, if you build your life on anything other than the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, it is going to crumble. That Jesus is the right foundation. He, he, he is the house, if you will. 
See, the Bible teaches that we were born like a building condemned. You ever been by one of those, those houses? You know, you're like, man, nobody should live there, you know? And sometimes they'll put like a sign on the outside, condemned. And the word condemned literally means not fit for use, that you should not live there. And the Bible says spiritually that's our condition, that we're like a house that was condemned and that it wasn't fit for use. But the Bible goes on to tell us that God sent his son Jesus like a divine Chip and Joanna Gaines, came in like a fixer-upper, he could see the potential, you know? and could see what maybe we couldn't see. And so Jesus looks at this, this whole neighborhood called humanity of condemned buildings and he says, I'll buy it. And everyone's like, you, sh- you shouldn't, you, no, you shouldn't buy that. He's like, no, I can see the potential. And the way that he purchases this neighborhood is with his own life. So the Bible teaches that though we were condemned and we weren't fit for use, Jesus saw something in us and he rescued us by giving his life on the cross, being raised from the grave, and then he moves in based upon our confession of him as Lord. He moves in, becomes the landlord of this building, and he takes one thing that, was, that used to be condemned, not fit for use, and then he redeems it and makes it something new so that therefore there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That if you have Christ, you are now a building, if you will, fit for use. Not because of anything you've done, but because of what Christ has done. Now, I think sometimes we'll see Jesus as kind of like an add-on in our life. Like maybe you've come in here and, and you see Jesus as like the missing piece to your life. So you've ordered your spiritual house. And like Jesus, you kind of see him as like that, that succulent that you need on the table, you know? Like you got everything in place, but you're like, you know what, th- what this needs is a succulent. You know, and you go and you shop and you try to find the succulent or the accessory. And listen, Jesus is not a succulent savior, all right? He's not the accessory that you just kind of add to your life to complete you. He is the house. He is your life. He's everything. And if you see Jesus as your assistant or your accessory, you've misunderstood the urgency to claim and to confess Jesus as your foundation. And you're building your life on something that's not gonna last in the end. Paul, he says, if you're gonna build something that's gonna last, you're gonna have to have the right plans, you're gonna have to have the right foundation Because in 100 years, all that's gonna matter is what you did with Jesus and for Jesus. Paul, he goes on to say this in verse 12. He says, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it. This is a clear reference to the the Bema seat of Christ. Uh, the judgment seat of Christ. When Daniel in chapter 12, when he's saying that there's gonna, they're gonna be purified, uh, clothed in white and refined, this is the day that he's talking about. And he says, this, this day it's gonna come clear because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If you're gonna build something that's gonna be beautiful in God's eyes, you're gonna have to have the right plans, the right foundation. And point number three, you're gonna have to have the right materials. The right materials. Paul's saying that you need to build with the right materials. He said that there's gonna be a day where we stand before Jesus Christ, if you know Christ, and, and he, there's gonna be some sort of fire that's gonna expose the things that were of gold and silver and precious stones, and then it's gonna consume the things that were, were not. And we wanna make sure that we're building our life with the right materials. And once you have the right plans and the right foundation, you need to go select the right materials. Again, he says, you, you want to have as much gold, silver, and precious stones on that foundation as possible. You, you wanna look at God's word, see what God values, and then you wanna go live your life in light of living out the things that God values. That's how you get the right materials. And at the end of your life, when you begin to look back on your life, you'll be asking and you'll now see, what did I build my life upon? 
I want you to think about it like this ladder. I don't know if you've ever heard of the American dream. Uh, we've got many people that are watching from other nations. The American dream, y'all know, it's like you retire early and then you move to the beach, like in Florida, you get a yacht and then you, like, you hunt sea dollars with your grandkids, you know, something like that, all right? You know what I'm talking about? And so this was actually in a Reader's Digest magazine. And so I want you to think about like most of us, we, we have this American dream mentality, whether we like it or not. And so if your ladder if your life is like this ladder and each rung is like a decade, I'll just kind of, kind of run through some things that maybe you've gone through. Like in your teenage years, you know, it's about relationships, right? You know, you're trying to build friendships, have fun, enjoy life, maybe make varsity, get the letter jacket, you know what I'm talking about? And then you, you know, so you can get to college. And, and when you get to college, it's like, I gotta get the right, the right fraternity, the right sorority, start making the right network so I can get the right job, maybe cross paths with the right person that I can finally settle down with. And, and by the time you're in your 30s, you're like, okay, now we're married, we have a few kids and now we're, we're starting to establish our career and, um, and it's just, everything's just, we're kind of in baby boot camp, but it's a, you know, it, but it's a fun stress, that sort of thing. We're not in the neighborhood that we want to be in, but we're making more money and so that we can kind of look at the neighborhood we want to go into. So by the time we're in our 40s, we can afford the 18% interest rate. You know, we can get into the neighborhood that we were wanting to get into. And, uh, and then, you know, we're starting to like, you're kind of in that season where we're, we're spending more money than we've ever spent on the kids, but it's a lot of fun and they're going and they're growing, all that sort of thing. And then by the time we get into our 50s in the American dream, you're thinking, man, I'm at the peak earning years and I've already established like I think we can retire early so maybe you put the down payment on the house in Punta Gorda Florida you know and you're thinking okay we're going to start vacationing there and then maybe by the time you get into your 60s man you've you've hit retirement and like you're like all right and we've we've moved to the Florida house or we snowbirds you know we go back and forth from the cold place to the warm place that sort of thing and in the American dream it says man you've arrived and now you can spend your days collecting seashells with your grandkids, and it's just gonna be amazing. And none of these things are bad, but if we make these things ultimate, then we've missed what is best in God's eyes. And what are you gonna do? Eventually, you're gonna die. And if you've given your life to the American dream, you're gonna stand before God and say, God, here's what I have for you. going to the beach in your 60s, playing with your grandkids, saving for that house in your 50s, buying that house in the neighborhood in your 40s, establishing your family in your 30s, going to that college in your 20s, and having fun in your teenage years, it's not wrong. But if you make those things ultimate, then you're building your life out of hay, wood, and straw. But when we have the right perspective on how we're supposed to spend our life or invest our life, then God can use those things for his glory. What if we made a commitment this morning not to live for the American dream, but for God's dream? What if we made a commitment this morning not to avoid those things that we experience in the, the life or the ladder called life, but to climb those rungs and in each decade, whatever decade you're in, if you're a teenager, if you're in your 20s, 30s, and so on, that you would look in that decade and you would say, God, would you help me to use the season that I'm in to build something that is beautiful in your eyes and not go after some sort of vain, earthly, carnal ambition where all I do is present to you my seashells at the end of my life. So what are the things that are gonna be judged that day? If we, wanna, if we wanna have a life that's marked by gold and silver and precious stones, what are the things that are gonna be refined that day? Well, here's three things that are gonna be judged that day. The first one is, uh, is your motives. Your motives. First Corinthians 4 or 5 says that God will expose the motives of men's hearts. 
So think about this way. Why are you here this morning? Why, why are you here? I, I think there's been times where I've come to church, and uh, not, not I think, I know there's been times where I've come to church out of obligation. It's the right thing to do. And, and if I stay in that place, I don't think that's honoring to God. Like, what if I went on a date with my wife, Chelsea, and she was like, oh, this is such a great, I'm so, I'm so excited we're on a date. And I looked at her and said, what's my obligation? I'm your husband. Like, date's over, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's going nowhere fast. Yeah? Because none of us feel cherished out of duty. But it's out of delight. And God knows why you're here. I don't know why you're here. God can see the intentions of your heart. Why do you serve? Why do you do things for God's glory? Why do you do what you do? And what will be tested that day is the motive. So you could, you could aim your life. You could be the, like I'm gonna, be the, I'm gonna climb the rungs of being a full-time missionary in a hard place. But if you become a missionary for the wrong reasons, it'll be burned up in the end. Another thing that's gonna be tested on that day is your conduct, your conduct. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this, that we will receive what is due, whether good or bad. That on this day, there's gonna be rewards and there's gonna be regrets. And God is looking at how we are all behaving. And if you know Christ, one day you're gonna stand before him and give an account for how you've spent your life in conduct. I was talking with Pastor Phil about this this week and he just said, man, praise God that sin can't send us to hell if we know Christ but it can cause us to waste our life. And many of us have come in here this morning, and man, you're just so, you're, you're giving in to the distractions of life, right? And so like you're, you're spending more time on social media than, than probably any other given thing. Uh, one theologian, he says that one of the great things that Twitter's gonna provide in eternity is that prayerlessness wasn't for a lack of time. That social media will prove that our prayerlessness wasn't for a lack of time. That we'll stand before God and I know every one of you that's on an iPhone, you got a reminder before you came to church today, your screen time this week. How does that compare to your prayer time this week? And then I think that there's, there's, thing, there's ways that we're conducting ourselves that aren't bad. It's not bad to be on your phone. They're just distracting. And then there are other things that we're doing that are bad. I got to just think about <laughs> talking with, with, with people recently and, and uh, they're, they're struggling in their marriage because, you know, they're looking at pornography and thinking that's okay with their spouse. And I'm thinking, no, that's not, we can't do that. And, and these, these, aren't, these aren't like pagans, these church folk. Think about our conduct, the way that, the way, I'm out, I had a guy over the house and I, and I snapped off at my wife, you know, like, hey, just do this, that's what I told you, you know, that kind of tone, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, that's not okay. And Jesus, like, I think I'll stand up with you like, why did, why did you speak to your wife in a way that didn't represent me? I'll be like, it's, that's hay, that's wood, that's straw, burn it up. And God is looking at our conduct, that we wanna be people that are holy. We wanna be people that are set apart. We wanna be people that, that reflect the glory of God to the best of our ability because that is gold in God's eyes. That is silver in God's eyes. That is precious stone in God's eyes. Another thing that's gonna be tested that day is our service. 
Matthew 25, there's a famous story that Jesus tells about guys that were given a lump sum of money and what they did with it. And he says that those that invested it and made money off of it, they were faithful with what was given to them. And so you have the famous words of Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. You've heard that before? Like that's all I wanna hear. Somebody says, Chaz, what's your definition of success? It's faithful service. That I wanna stand before Jesus someday and to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. That's all I want. How do I get there? Well, I understand that God is gonna judge my service, that God has given me gifts, and I need to ask myself, how am I using those gifts? If I come up here and I open up the Word of God, hopefully I'm gifted at teaching the Word of God, or I wouldn't have this job, okay? If I come up here and I open the Word of God and I teach you the Word, but I'm not faithful to go home, open up the same Bible with my three little girls and my little church and my household and disciple my kids, I've missed it, y'all. That God has entrusted every one of you with, with gifts that you go and you go slay the world, man. <laughs> like you, you go hustle and some of y'all are salesmen. Some of y'all can sell popsicle to an Eskimo, man. And you're making, you're making six, seven figures because of that. Praise God, you go make all the money you can make. But if you're only using that ability to persuade people just so that you can get rich, you're missing out on why God's given you that ability. Does that mean you need to go into ministry? Not necessarily, it may be, I don't know. But I'm just saying, are you being faithful to build God's kingdom? Or are you leveraging the gifts that God Almighty gave you to build your own kingdom? That we need to be faithful in serving and doing what God's called us to do. God's given every one of us that know Christ a story to tell. We've done this thing over the last couple of years called Finding Your One. And what that means is that we, we believe that God has somebody in your life that he, he's calling you to have a, like a holy collision with so that you can share your story with them and share the gospel with them and maybe even disciple them and baptize them. And how incredible would it be if we begin to take the call to share our faith seriously? And many of you are doing that and many of you have never done that. But God, he wants us to be found faithful with being stewards of what he's put into our lives so that we can serve him and build his kingdom. Now, there's a beautiful photo that was captured this week and here it is right here. It may not look pretty to you, but let me tell you why I find this attractive. That every one of these cars is sitting empty in the back parking lot of our Lee Summit campus because the people that drive them sacrifice their week to go to a thing called One Week. And One Week is our student experience where we believe that if students will dedicate one week, God could do something amazing to change their life forever. And so these, this parking lot, it's, it's full of these cars that were, were parents and, and young adults and everything in between and, and retired people. They, they said, man, we're gonna take vacation, we're gonna make sacrifices so that we can go spend our life this week doing something that is going to be gold, silver, precious stones. One of the more beautiful stories I heard about one week had nothing to do with what took place in the actual campsite itself. It was a lady who, I don't know if y'all remember a few weeks ago, but we gave the opportunity to the church body to pray for students and leaders at one week. And there was bracelets out in the lobby spaces of all, all of our campuses. Well, this lady, she got one of those bracelets and she started praying for this young girl. And then she showed up on Monday when it was time for the kids to go to, to, the, to one week. And she says, hey, could you give this packet to the girl's name that's on this, this little love care packet thing that I put together? And she wasn't going to one week 
but she gave the person at the check-in station, she gave them this information, give this to this person, I've been praying for this little girl for the last month. And so I just wanna bless her with something and please tell her that she's being prayed for. That's gold, that's silver, that's precious metals, that's precious stones. Speaking of precious stones, we did this thing called SOAR Camp. It was the first camp we've ever done, I think, in the history of Abundant Life, where we got to minister to the special needs community. And people that, are, that have special needs and families that are having special needs uh, kids or, or family members, they were able to come here for a week of camp at Abundant Life. What an incredible church that is giving us many opportunities to go give our life to the things and get the right materials that are, that are a blessing to God. And we just have to be found faithful to do those things. So if you're here this morning and you wanna build your life on something that matters most, man, you gotta give your life to the things that are gonna echo in eternity. And no sacrifice that you make for the Lord Jesus Christ is overlooked by the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, he goes on and says this in verse 14. He says, if anyone's work, which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. Rewards and regrets, you see there. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Paul's just reminding us that even though you may suffer loss because of Christ, you'll still be saved. Point number four, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. The right rewards. The right rewards. Again, only what you do for Jesus will endure in the end. That you're going to have rewards. Uh, and the rewards in the Bible, they're referred to as crowns. Some of us are going to get crowns of righteousness. Some of us crowns of exaltation. Some of us crowns of glory, some of us crowns of life, and others of us will just have regrets because we built our lives chasing things that don't matter. We'll have regrets because we were marked by timidity and not boldness. We'll have regrets because we were marked by apathy rather than vigilance against our sin. We'll have regrets because we lived a life of good intentions. And listen, good intentions are the kindling that ignite the flames of God's judgment. I don't know about you, but I already have enough regrets for eternity in my life. I don't wanna store up any more regrets than I've already stored up in my life. I wanna make a decision today. I wanna to draw a line in the sand, drive a stake in the ground and say, God, by your grace, I wanna have the right plans. God, by your grace, I wanna relish that I'm on the right foundation. God, by your grace, I wanna go get the right materials and give my life to what matters most. I wanna faithfully love my wife. I wanna faithfully disciple my kids. I wanna faithfully steward the gospel. I wanna live a life of service, whatever that means, in the, in the business sector or in the, 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 the church sector. God, I wanna be faithful. And I want to build my life on what matters most so that when I stand before you, I won't have to hang my head in regret, but I can raise my head and receive the crown that you have in store for me. What are you building this morning, church? Or maybe to put it a different way, who are you running with? Uh, there's a famous racing team called Team Hoyt. This is dad, his name's Dick, and this is his son named Rick. Rick has cerebral palsy and he's paralyzed, quadriplegic. In 1977, Rick, he went to his dad and said, hey dad, could we run in a race? <laughs> I'm sure his dad was like, 
well, uh, we are gonna have to run in the race because you can't run anywhere, you know? And he looks at him and I'm sure he's like, I don't know what you're thinking, but he sees the courage of his son who doesn't let his limitations forfeit him from making a difference. He had heard about a guy who had been paralyzed, a lacrosse player, and they were doing a race to raise money for this guy. And so Rick, the son, he said, dad, let's do it. And dad being a good dad, he said, let's go. Three years later, they ran their first Boston Marathon in 1980. And over the span of several years, Team Hoyt, they competed in over a thousand marathons and triathlons together. One with the other, both of them never separated from one another's side. In an interview, Rick, the son, done by People Magazine in 2013, he said, when we run, it makes me feel like my disability disappears. Last year, his dad died. And I promise you that Rick, the son, didn't go into the room where all of the medals were hanging and all of the publicity was hanging and look at the awards and go, wow, these awards are amazing. But I promise you, when he looked at those awards, they were just simply a reminder of the relationship that was amazing that he had with his father that Rick did not go anywhere and he did not win any award unless his father took him to that place. Jesus said in John chapter five, most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. If you wanna build your life on what matters most, then join God in what he's doing and run the race that he's called you to run, tethered to the Father. We're about to sing a song called Refiner's Fire. And it just simply says, I wanna be purified. I, I wanna be tried by fire. It's a declaration that says, man, God, would you take these hands? Would you take this heart? I wanna burn for you. And we're gonna sing this song in a moment of just reflection. I think that every one of us, if we could just hold tight, listen to the words of this song, and make a commitment to build our life on what matters most. Because in a hundred years, all that will matter is what we did with Jesus and what we did for Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for this moment to be able to hear your word preached and taught. God, I pray that it would do its work in our life, that it would do a spiritual surgery. God, I thank you for laying out the right plan in your word, for not being uh, foggy or not being unclear as to what you want us to do or who you want us to be, but telling us clearly that we will give an account for the life that you've entrusted us. God, teach us to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. Help us to walk wise and not as fools. God, help us to be careful how we walk so that we can make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Search us, oh God, know our heart. See whatever anxious thoughts are inside of us and lead us to your life everlasting. God, I pray that you would purify us, that you would refine us in these moments so that we can live a life on the right foundation, building with the right materials so that one day we can receive the right rewards. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof 
of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.